Hello, everybody. I'm Jaspal Singh on behalf of Consultant 360. I'm one of the medical directors for uh, pulmonary and critical care content. And with me today is Dr. Erica Setliff. Uh, I don't know if you can introduce yourself for the, for the audience. Sure. My name is Erica Setliff. I'm a critical care clinical nurse specialist. I work at Atrium Health Cabarrus and uh, cover our critical care areas as well as uh, inpatient cardiac. Wow, Erica, what a year. You know, <laughs> we're at the one-year mark of where the World Health Organization called COVID-19 a pandemic. And so we have to reflect back on the year. And, you know, there's a lot of sort of audio new media outlets sort of talking about the one-year anniversary and all the things that are happening and all the things that we've learned. And I thought we'd kind of go through some of the lessons that we've shared and uh, for the, in our pulmonary and critical care community. Talk to me about sort of what comes to your mind is what are the, some key lessons learned in the last year? Well, that's a big, a big topic for sure. I think one of the things that stands out to me the most is how incredibly adaptable our teams are. I think that we have really learned how to operate with daily and sometimes more than daily change in evidence, in protocols, in best recommendation, how to keep one another safe, how to best care for our patients, how to best care for one another. I think that that's something that's really amazed me as I look back and reflect on the year. And I appreciated this invitation because it really made me stop and think. And I realized how very little of that I've done over the past year because it's been full steam ahead for a solid year and really just the incredible resilience and adaptability of the teams that we work with is the thing that stands out the most to me. What about for you? Yeah, kind of the same. I mean, I think back about the year and just thinking about like how much angst there was about what information there was, how reliable it was, and sort of thinking about that aspect. Like you talked about, we're adaptable, but we had to adapt on the fly and we didn't know what information was the truth. And, um, and it was kind of a lot of, a lot of confusion. Mm-hmm. And I think what stood, what on the negative side for me was the idea of the public distrust of science. And I think our public paid the price, you know, and I think what came out of it is that the scientific community, I have to say, came and just saved how many, countless lives. But they had to, it came at a price, you know, it came at a lot of sort of intense investment, a lot of education. And, um, and it really exposed our public health system with this mistrust aspect. So I think in the end, in the left in the year, I think the scientific community needs to do a very diligent job about um, making sure that we have the public trust. And so I think the scientific community won. I mean, this va- what's happened in the vaccine world is just nothing short of miraculous. And so I'm encouraged. And I hopefully the public can sort of take heed of the results a little bit and say, wow, the scientific community was right. Matt, guess what? Mask, work, masking works. Social distancing works. You know, paying hand sanitation works. And I think that aspect where the scientific community proved its, proved its metal uh, is really hopeful. And I'm hoping that trend continues and that, they, and that they, we can move forward as a country. Yeah. The, and you kind of brought in the other part, which is something I really missed. And, you know, we had made all these movements saying, I work with you at Atrium Health at, in Charlotte, North Carolina. So I have the pleasure, you and I have the pleasure of working together and trying to build this whole idea of advance the goal of team-based care. In the ICU, we do it. As an, I'm a pulmonologist, so in, I do a lot of lung cancer work. So in lung cancer, is very team-based. Mm. And all of a sudden, 
people are working from home. They're not available. My pharmacists aren't available. Everyone's kind of available. Families aren't available, you know? And it's it was absolutely just something out of a, a thing that I hopefully don't want to recreate. I think it exposed the how dependent we are on team-based care. How did you guys reflect on that? How do, how do you take that part? I agree wholeheartedly. I think it's really highlighted how much we need each other and how interconnected our teams are. All the things that we've learned over the years about interprofessional teams and interdisciplinary rounding and how we function together in person. I think we've done a pretty good job uh, band-aiding that with virtual options as much as we can while keeping one another safe. And it'll be interesting to see which things stay from those lessons and which things move back to in-person. But as a profound extrovert who gets my energy from those around me, um, it's definitely something that we've felt. And I know it's one of the things that's been challenging in different waves over the pandemic um, especially for the true frontline in scrubs, in the room, full PPE, caring for the patients. There have been times where they've felt really deserted um, by people with understandable and fully, um, I have full compassion for the fears, um, but it's, it left a lot of people feeling a little deserted at times. Um, because everything went virtual and, you know, you would hear those questions like, what about my safety? Um, and how do we balance that and the added burden on the real frontline in the room staff that um, had to change a lot of their practices to facilitate that virtual presence um, for a lot of other people. So it's been an interesting evolution and I'm encouraged by uh, the in-person pieces we've been able to reconnect, um, mm -hmm. prioritizing which things can be in person and how can we bring in some virtual presence with um, maintaining that human connection really is what it comes down to um, and how we're all better together. Absolutely. I mean, it was really, ex I mean, it was almost exhilarating how we just when the pandemic started hitting, we all kind of worked together to create protocols, mm -hmm. guidelines, you know, the operations, logistics, the safety issues. We had administrative partners that rolled their sleeves to really call, get in the back, back lines, call and make deals to get PPE yeah. and all these things that were there. I mean, it was just unbelievable how much the community kind of leveraged together. And I'm hopeful that, you know, we actually built some of the teams. Like we strengthened some relationships, I thought, across our entire health system. I think we did, you know, many hospitals had clinicians volunteering across borders and across the entire country. And, um, and it was amazing to see the community rally, industry, private industry getting involved in healthcare. I mean, it was just something of a, an unbelievable. And I'm hoping some of that team essence stays. At the bedside, though, this whole idea of families being alone and isolation and patients being alone and no one really knowing what's happening. Um, it's very scary. Mm -hmm. And I'm hopeful that we now have, we, we sort of learned the lesson of how scary that can be and, um, and kind of maybe leverage technology moving forward, maybe thinking about other options and having and recognizing that guess what team-based rounds, we might've thought it was a luxury before. It's almost a necessity. It really is. And I think it's one of those things this pandemic has highlighted. So I'm hopeful moving forward as we kind of start coming back together, people recognize that, guess what? We actually needed this. 
Mm -hmm. Patients did better, we did better, everyone, the community did better, and um, I'm hopeful that we can kind of move forward that way. I agree. And you know, it's interesting, you talk about all the work that went in during that preparatory period. Um, one of the things that's been very much on my mind and many others throughout this whole time has been the wellness and resilience of the team. And one of the resources that I had shared early on actually mentioned the term readiness burnout. <laughs> and that was something that I felt definitely going in. In my role as a clinical nurse specialist, a lot of my time is around getting the evidence, making sure we have the right tools and processes and protocols and all the pieces in place so that people can provide that right care at the right time. And I think even before our first patient hit the doors of the ICU, I was glad to see that term and know that it was a thing, <laughs> that there was a label for it because we didn't even have a patient yet. And many of us were exhausted from the preparation and going into a marathon um, exhausted was probably not the best way to start out. And I think that we've learned a lot over this last year about wellness, about building resilience before you need it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you're in that crisis, isn't the time for a resilience lecture. It's gotta be part of our culture, our care for one another, um, our structure as a unit, as a team, as an organization, um, so that that reserve is there when it's needed. No, that's exactly right. Um, I think it's one of those things that I think we just have to think about how we prepare for a crisis and how it can happen any moment and all the preparation that goes into it. Hopefully some of that, some of that now legwork has been done and that can endure, you know, that we don't have to recreate that with the next potential crisis, you know, and in critical care, as you know, um, <laughs> I don't think it can be a lot of different crises. It can be infectious in this case, a you know, pandemic, for example, but it could be traumatic for example, or, you know, um, um, heaven forbid, we have some of those things, but those are realities in our world we have to prepare for. So hopefully we've sort of sealed some of those things. We kind of, we've, we've sort of um, uh, um, uh, helped solve some of those issues. Mm -hmm. Let's switch gears a little bit. And one of the things I really enjoyed, or actually I'm sort of wrestling with a little bit, you know, I used to travel a lot for meetings and I used to love the connection and seeing colleagues around the country. And that just suddenly came to a halt. I have not taken a plane trip in over a year. Mm -hmm. And uh, and just thinking about like, you know, how meetings gone virtual and some of that stuff. What, what are your thoughts about this sort of like virtual learning world and virtual education world? It has its pros and cons. I think in some ways the accessibility is probably the biggest positive. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I submitted at assist for a conference recently, and I didn't have to go through all those pieces that uh, go into the travel piece. I just needed to pay for a conference and that was it. And I um, didn't have to really alter my work life that much. I'd try to block a little bit of time here and there, but um, I was listening on my way home or Saturday morning sipping coffee with the kids on the couch. That was a pretty great way to do a conference. So somewhere there's probably a balance where we capture and capitalize on the good pieces of that, but I don't think I want to lose the, the energy, the innovation, um, and the networking that comes from that in-person collaboration with really your incredible colleagues from all over that you otherwise don't get to see. 
Right. That's a, I think in the same way. Like I miss their collegiality, but I'll be honest with you, I don't miss going to a big conference or a meeting where in the back of the hallway and I can't see the, barely see the speaker and all these other things and I, and I can't listen to what they're doing versus watching the computer. It's almost like they're right there. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and something about that was really interesting. And then the other part is, you know, as a speaker, I sometimes find myself giving to a, a talk to an empty audience and you're like, you have no idea on the other side who's there, who's paying attention. And <laughs> it's an interesting sort of thing, but I did like the idea of just-in-time learning being available or just-in-case learning. We designed critical care courses for those who are just, just in case people needed to step up in roles that they were not comfortable with. Mm-hmm. So we had just-in-time learning, just-in-case learning and all that stuff I thought was really interesting. It was actually fairly high quality, which was, I thought was pretty nice. Um, so I'm hoping some of that can stay in that, that world I think will stay for a fair amount. And, and uh, we're talking on behalf of Consultant360 and they've done a phenomenal job putting together some series of, of that go along this way. And then talk to me about, what do you think about virtual care? I do a lot of virtual care and actually a lot of us were waiting for something to switch to increase, increase telemedicine and virtual visits, you know? And it's been very interesting to me and sort of watching the pros and cons of telemedicine and the infrastructure. What are your thoughts about that? I think, we have been very fortunate to have great structure in place already so that um, those virtual pieces could take place. I think that moving forward as we look to how do we really want critical care to look moving out of this past year, we may want to think through which things have to happen in person and which things are just as effective virtually. I think a lot of what we do can be done virtually and it's even given access in some creative ways for um, maybe for example, someone who's got a medical condition and cannot um, be out on the units. Um, Even one of our wound nurses, we were able to get virtual access to the cameras in the rooms to do some of the wound rounding by Mm -hmm. camera Um, That was a great innovation. I thought that we would have never really come to otherwise. Um, But I do think it's important. We've talked about that in-person piece. Somewhere there's a balance and um, it'll be interesting to see where that lands. I think the virtual care provides uh, scope and access that we otherwise wouldn't have. Um, But we have to be careful not to replace everything with virtual, but to use it strategically. Yeah, I mean, we do a lot of virtual critical care, for example, and and um, and it's been interesting to sort of, you know, walk into sites that don't have, you start to expose the infrastructure issues a lot of places and you see sometimes patients just need someone with at the bedside with a good set of eyes and hands and a good listening ear to yeah. understand what's happening. And so you realize that there's pros and also cons, but on the pro side, it's kind of amazing. We've had some colleagues that volunteered to help virtually at the, you know, the the Indian National Health Services system. And you're like, that's how it's amazing how the technology has evolved. And I think that will continue to evolve and hopefully prepare us as we move forward. So that was kind of neat to watch. Um, and then, and then as far as like, uh, as your role as a, as a nurse, I mean, the nurses, the teams, the respiratory therapists, all the people I mean, it was amazing how much they sort of took on. Like you said, they're adaptable, they're resilient, but they're tired. We already had a critical care staffing crisis before all this pandemic hit. Now it's like, you know, this has escalated to a very high level. We've had a lot of, uh, uh, us and a lot of other places around the, around the country have had some issues with, you know, wellness, burnout, and people just flat out feeling unsafe. 
Talk to us about your thoughts about that as we, about, as we think about the last year. What things we can do better? One of the things I think I've learned from this past year is the importance of having that shared mission and vision. I think it's gotten us through some really difficult times. Um, and I think we'll have to be really intentional moving forward as cases decrease, as, you know, as there's pressure from the rest of healthcare to think about things other than COVID. Um, and, you know, it's back to your metrics, it's back to all the things that we've had a little understanding for over the past year. Um, but we're still experiencing pockets of it. And we have, as you said, a very tired staff. Um, who have held on for a long time, I think we'll have to be intentional about redefining what that new vision is that we all get on board with, um, because that is one of the pieces of resilience. What, what is the reason why you're coming in and doing the work you're doing? And as this massive thing called COVID is thankfully receding somewhat, I don't want to lose that shared vision and future and what brings us all in this together every day. Um, I think that's an important piece of the team building. I think that we, we definitely have some opportunities in wellness of our staff still. I think we've done some things well with that, but some things just haven't been feasible. Um, we've, we've had to have bodies providing care for very sick patients and many more of them than our structure is designed for. And that's been a legitimate burden. And I think we've got to think carefully about how to allow people the rest they need without having to leave and take a job outside of critical care. I think it's well done. And I think in the physician world um, as well, I think that's very true. And um, I'm sort of reminded of a little bit about you know, what, it, what, leader, what you're kind of reminding me about is how important strong leadership is mm -hmm. and not just strong, artificially strong, mm -hmm. not just sort of like, you know, but strong, authentic, mm -hmm. courageous, compassionate leadership, paying attention to your teammates, paying attention to them, asking them, how's your family? How's your home life doing? Has what hobbies you have that you had to sort of adjust during this pandemic and a little bit. And um, for a lot of them, that was a big adjustment. And so I think recognizing that, recognizing that they may be going through things that they don't even share, they don't bring to work, and that they can't just sort of not acknowledge it. Um, to the, the leadership today looks very different than it might have a couple of decades ago. It involves a very different level of understanding of what each and every person that you're managing or, or, or responsible for, I should say, um, is doing. Mm -hmm. So, um, and poor leadership, we also saw this pandemic also has consequences. And so I think we have to just be cognizant of all that. And so I greatly appreciate you thinking about how we can do things better, because I think that shows excellent leadership. So we're at the end of our time. And I just wanted to thank you. And I'm just going to kind of go through some things that we kind of highlight. So basically, we said from what we learned in the last year and this in this year is that how adaptable our teams are, how resilient we are. Um, and how much we've learned about preparation, about how science in the end and trust in the public health sector really did a lot of good and that we need to move forward with that messaging. Um, and that um, there's personal challenges that teammates are going through and we have to pay copy cognizant to be effective leaders. We have to be authentic. We have to be brave we have to be strong and we have to be compassionate for our patients and their families as well. 
um, that when there's this thing kind of rolls over, that things that we don't want to waste in this crisis is, you know, the not only technology that we've developed from virtual learnings to opportunities to how to connect virtually when working away from home, uh, when, sorry, when working away, when, when, when working offsite, but also how when, we, when it's time, we need to sort of recognize, re, uh, uh, reconvene and be at the bedside or teammates or talk and collaborate more. We definitely missed some of that for a lot of good reasons. Um, and then uh, anything else I missed? I think those are the highlights and um, just really, I'm excited to see how we take what we've learned this last year and move forward on purpose. We've, we've had some conversations about that where, you know, because we've learned how to change every day if we need to, I think it gives us a really unique opportunity moving out of this to say, what are we going to keep? <laughs> what hasn't worked and wasn't working before COVID that we're going to change because we're used to changing everything and we've been able to move away from the, we've always done it that way mentality because we've had to. So I think we've got some unique opportunity as a critical care profession to say, what do we want this to look like moving forward? Because we're used to everything changing anyway. So let's move forward on purpose instead of just by default. So I'm excited to see where we go with that, with some of the innovations you've mentioned, with some better understanding of team-based care and wellness and all of those things. It's, it's gonna be an exciting year uh, moving out of this and hopefully being intentional about some of those opportunities. You're absolutely right. And I'm hopeful that, you know, that in the end, the scientific methodology and this, we, this intentional focus on innovation and recognizing what's important, what can stick, what can we can learn from this is helpful. We do have to remind ourselves, obviously, COVID is not over by a long shot. We still got a lot of things. And we also get the social, psychological, economic fallout of all of this is still who knows how that will play out. There's a lot of work still to be done in that space alone, plus all the other stuff that we as non-COVID related, as you mentioned. And then a reminder to our listeners, if you have ideas or thoughts and want to reflect on this podcast, please feel free to look at our website and make sure you comment. And we'd love to hear your thoughts as well about what really stuck in this past year that really made you stop, reflect, and just obviously, hopefully we had some reward and grace. I mean, I think a lot of us enjoy our jobs. I think a lot of us really found some reward of being there when the community needed us. It's a very tough year, obviously. But in the end, I'm personally grateful for the opportunity to be involved in this type of, in, in, in this pandemic at every level, um, from the bedside to the strategic aspects of managing. And, and let's move forward as a country together. Does that sound reasonable? Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Eric. I want, on behalf of Consultant360, again, I'm your host, Jaspal Singh. Thank you for listening.